This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. We have yet another tech episode for you today talking about a project to create a smart orchard. Now, an orchard, you ask. We don't grow blueberries in orchards, I understand that, but today's episode has us looking into what automation is happening in orchards and how that might be transferable to our blueberry fields. So, I'm excited to have back with me today our co-host for these tech episodes and the chair of our Innovation and Technology Committee, Mr. Rod Cook. These episodes, as you know, Rod, have been very popular, and I always enjoy coming on to learn a lot about what our guests have to share. But talk to me a little bit about today's episode. What are you seeing about the orchard business that is having us look into the tree fruit for the blueberry business? Well, you know, obviously, since we keep doing this stuff and we're not repeating too much, there's a lot of things going on in the technology field, in the ag tech field specifically. And the deeper we wade into that technology, it can really be confusing. You've got, you know, companies that are providing these sensors or those sensors or apps and all kinds of things. And it really gets overwhelming for a lot of growers from time to time. So many different things. So we're trying to figure out how to integrate that information because there's a lot of stuff that, yeah, you can do it, but doesn't really help us. And so today we're going to talk to some folks from the tree fruit industry to hear how they have begun to look at this and address these issues in that project, as you said, called Smart Orchard. We have uh, Steve Mantle from Innovate Ag and Dr. Enos Hanrahan, Director of Washington Tree Fruit Research Commission. Steve, why don't you take a moment or two and just introduce us to yourself, uh, your company, please. Sure. Nice to get together today. So uh, before I founded Innovate Ag, I spent a dozen years at Microsoft and prior to that was in the tech field. And before that, back in, in my teenage years, did some working on farms and was raised by a couple of biologists. And uh, so ultimately wanted to bring together data and agriculture and founded Innovate Ag. So we kicked it off in um, late spring of 2020, and there was a little bit of a preamble up on that in late 2019 coming together. And the focus really is around bringing together sensors, data from many different sources, from weather, from soil, from plant and tree-specific sensors, yield data, imagery data from all sorts of sources like satellite imagery and, and drones and, and equipment, labor, chemical, water, the list kind of goes on. Bringing all of that together in a commercial orchard, validating data and benchmarking comparisons against different types and price levels even of sensors, and then collaborating with researchers 
on the interrelation of that data with the goal to better harness and simplify those technologies for grower decision-making. Well, this is great. And I'm excited to kind of dig in here because, you know, having recently completed a series of town halls, of course, I'm hearing, you know, from blueberry growers across the United States on what, you know, they're hoping for, for the future or needs uh, that they have in terms of expectations. And so I'm anxious to hear specifically, you know, what work's been done here that I think in the case of at least uh, one growing region down in Georgia is saying very specifically that a tool like this for the blueberry industry as it relates to crop estimation as a tool. And then, of course, from a research promotion organization, how that then translates to preparedness or, or harvest count for marketing purposes. So it's going to be fascinating to kind of spend a little time digging in here because, you know, very relevant right now for our industry. So thanks for being with us today. Fantastic. We also have Dr. Hanrahan, as I said, director Ines. So could you do the sort of the same for our listeners, just a, a little description of the Washington Tree Fruit Research Commission and your position Happy to do it. Yeah, I, on a personal level, um, I grew up in East Germany and I am an agriculture engineer by training. And my PhD focused on post-harvest physiology. My passion has always been an applied research. I really always wanted to help bring uh, science to the field. In the meantime, I got married um, to a farmer, to an orchardist. So I live on a working tree fruit farm here in Eastern Washington with my husband and my son. And for the past over 15 years, now going on 16 years, I've worked with the Tree Fruit Research Commission in the capacity as executive director for the past two and a half years. The Tree Fruit Research Commission is a very interesting organization. It really tries to find and help find science-based solutions to challenges that are faced in the entire industry for our apple, pear, and cherry growers. And uh, as such, the commission typically tries to provide this dynamic interface. It tries to connect academia with industry and really tries to be this, this in-between, go-between organization that fosters the communication interaction between those two communities. Over the years or every year, we actually support research projects for over $4.5 million dollars. And as I said, our key function is really to engage with the industry and determine what are their needs and try and make it happen for them to be really good stewards of the money that they entrust to us every year. Well, I'm sure everyone has a lot of questions about this project and then how it might then be applied to blueberries. But before we go further, I want to take a quick break here for our crop report. As you've heard in recent weeks from Florida to California, we're already starting our domestic crop updates and we'll continue to add voices to this report as the harvest moves west and north. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time now for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Juan Soria Morales in Mexico, Bill Steed in California, and Ken Patterson in Florida. This was recorded on April 21st, 2021. Good morning. This is Bill Steed reporting from California. The crop is moving along uh, faster than we probably were. Anticipating initially, we thought we were probably five days in advance. If this keeps going, you know, we, we could easily be in that five to 10 day advance stage. 
volume is what we pretty much had discussed last week. You know, we're talking a total uh, fresh crop of north of 75 million on fresh. Uh, organic portion is grown, so it's going to be in the 30, 35 million range. Conventional being probably in the 40, 45 million range. Peak week is still targeted for probably that May 21st. Volumes per week are tracking a little bit under what Beamrick is saying, but close. That's that's the California report. This is Juan Soria from Aneveris. Next, we will provide you with the Mexico's export statistics for week 15. This week, we have had an increase of 12% in respect to the previous week, basically due to the increment of the export volumes from the state of Sinaloa. We have exported a total of 6.8 million pounds to all the world. Total exports for this season to all the world are 95.7 million pounds. Compared to the same week of the previous season, the volume exported to the United States is around 22% higher. Next week, we are expecting to keep with these volumes near to 6.8 million pounds exported to all the world. That is the report for Mexico, and uh, thank you very much. Hi, this is Ken Patterson representing Florida, and this is a Florida report. Florida continues its harvest amid more weather issues. A non-typical front stalled out over Florida last week with rain in for four continuous days. This delayed harvesting an already late crop, which was about 10 days behind Florida's normal harvest period. Reports from the southern region are that approximately 70% of the crop has been harvested versus less than half of the berries in central Florida have been picked thus far. And up in the north state, only about 25% of the crop has been harvested. Uh, most growers have adequate labor, but the labor pool has tightened somewhat. Despite the uh, poor water weather, quality has remained good through this period. And the total volume shipped out of Florida so far totals about 6.9 million pounds. And that's the report from Florida. Well, thanks so much to our colleagues who take time to participate in these weekly reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our Data and Insight Center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry in real time. But make sure you go to ushbc.org to check that out. Rod, let's get back into it and learn a little bit more about this Smart Orchard project from Stephen Ines. Thanks. Sounds great. So if I understand this correctly, Ines, the Tree Fruit Research Commission's Tech Committee took this project on. They determined there was great opportunity to bring a number of these technologies, sensors, and so on uh, that Steve's kind of described. Is that sort of the basis for where the tech committee was going with this, or did they have specific goals that they were trying to achieve then? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a variety of things that kind of merged or came together finally and then uh, ended up in a smart orchard. The Treeford Research Commission was founded over 50 years ago. And one of the goals when this commission was founded was to bring more automation to orchards. So this has been one of the main goals for a long, long, long time. But of course, we had a lot of stop and go on the way. And uh, just recently, our board overhauled um, their goals for the next five years, and they decided they want to spend a higher portion of their budget on technology and technology implementation to really help the tree fruit industry deal and implement the new technologies as they come online, but at the same time also deal with um, the labor situation and make sure that the orchards are set up to be staying sustainable into the future. 
And at the same time, as we were kicking around lots of ideas, Innovate Egg approached us and uh, wanted to have a meeting with us. And after we met, we basically were like, how can we potentially engage this company? And we were like, well, we always wanted to have a test orchard for all of these different sensors. The first idea was we have so many companies now, just like you said, that have sensors and nobody is really testing them out in the field. And there's a lot of confusion with our grower community. And if we really want implementation and uptake, we need to have some better data. So that was one of the aspects. The other aspect was, okay, let's get our extension team activated and figure out what is it that growers are most interested in. So we did a survey right away and we figured out, for example, that they were very interested in water. And we had several projects that we funded with scientists, but they were like basically everybody working in their own bubble. And we were like, well, what a great opportunity now to bring this all together. So we basically connected all the scientists through the smart orchard and said, okay, if you're funded within technology, you need to make sure you have your data is taken at the smart orchard. And so this is how this all then came together. It was really nice emergence or yeah, basically aligning of several different ideas that we had been pondering for several years. Interesting. So Steve, you obviously saw a need. You pitched sort of what your company can bring to the table. How did you get involved with the background from Microsoft and and the tech industry? How did you get connected back then to ag and and to the uh, tree fruit commission itself? Well, there was some life change involved there from my side. You know, there are some organizational changes at Microsoft, and I've spent a dozen years here. Let me shift gears and address that entrepreneurial bent. I had already moved out a year before out to Eastern Washington, where I'd spent some time growing up. And we brought together a farmer focus group at the local community college. It is one of the only ones in the country that has a, a bachelor's in ag systems program, Walla Walla Community College. And this farmer focus group was representative of of several different crops. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we came down to, well, makes sense to focus on apples first. One, well, it's a number one crop in Washington state. That's hard to ignore. But two, in terms of some of the commonalities with blueberries too, is as a permanent crop, growers have a lot of skin in the game before these things start producing. A lot of work. And so we said, all right, so they need more data we think to help better inform how to really start producing at the most potential down the road. And so from that, we then started working with uh, First Fruits, one of the larger growers in the state, just between Walla Walla and Pasco, Washington. Did some trials there with the community college. And then the end of the year approached the Washington Tree Fruit Research Commission. From there, they said, look, you still have a bit to learn. So why don't you come to one of our research reviews and and school up a little bit? And I think partly Ines and team wanted to see if I actually would do that. So I did. And boy, talk about baptism by immersion. By early 2020, we met with the tech committee, head by a gentleman named Jeff Cleveringa. And that tech committee really agreed, boy, we've got way too many apps. Some of them pointed to their phones and said, I've got 19 different apps I'm looking at trying to make decisions. And look, we're all human. That's a lot of, of data to try to, to bring together. So that was the backdrop of how it ended up culminating 
and uh, then turning into the Smart Orchard project. Hey, Rod, if I could jump in real quick, I kind of want to touch a little bit on was that the spirit of the partnership is that, you know, you, Steve, were running into the recognition of how to scale something like this when you could see over there, you know, with NS that there was an organization that already had a history of working on a number of different things built over time that you could essentially plug into that the establishment was there. It just needed an engine to run some of what you're talking about here. So I wanted to just kind of get a sense of, of how this actually came together from that perspective. The reason we went to the research commission for tree fruit is a, they represent growers. It's a grower funded organization and B they're tightly focused on working with researchers. But when we looked at this industry compared to say row crops, it was very immature when it comes to access to data. The data fragmentation was significantly higher in terms of all these data silos, kind of back to the 19 apps example from one of the the gentlemen on the the research commission tech committee. And so that was the, the beauty of this group was bringing together all of those and an interest on the technology side. And as Ines had already mentioned too, they already were starting to shift more investments into technology. A lot of that has been into harvest methodologies and robotics and so on, but ultimately that all ties to data as well. And so bringing those two together is kind of the the perfect storm. Yeah, that's basically the gist of the research commission, right? We're funded by the growers and that's the beauty of it. So we listen to the growers. Most of the best ideas come ultimately from our stakeholders. So they come with the problems and uh, we present uh, potential solutions and they give us feedback very openly and freely. And this is, I think, one of the beautiful things here in the Pacific Northwest and in this tradition that the street food industry has, they understood while their competitors by collaborating on issues like this, all of them will get a competitive advantage and will be able to maintain their business regardless of business size or I don't know, whatever their philosophy is. And this is understood to today um, that the majority of the industry has this collaborative spirit uh, where they share these things to figure out something like that together. So our technology committee is, yeah, competitive organizations, um, but they're all there, uh, all in the orchard, all giving feedback to the scientists and uh, to the companies very openly. And the companies have learned to appreciate that if they're in there for real, right? I mean, if you have a real good product and you want to improve it, this is the easiest way to improve your product and to establish yourself in the market. And that's really all we want is we're acting as the incubator, as the enabler for the free market forces, connecting it, of course, with, with sound science on the way. But regardless, ultimately, the goal is create and maintain sustainable businesses for our stakeholders. The systems you're putting together. Would that be applicable, you know, the data and just the methodology that you're getting, the information is, is it going to work in avocados? Is it going to work in blueberries? Is this, is the basic work, the groundwork you're doing applicable across a lot of different orchards and and crops? Yeah, I mean, what's common across these crops? It's soil, 
it's water, it's sunlight and air inclusive of wind. And so measuring all of that, and then then there's amendments, right, on, on the chem side of things and nutrient side of things. And so, yes, there are a lot of commonalities. And the place to start really is, is simply by bringing the data together. And then, yes, it is highly repeatable, particularly to other permanent crops in the approach in that they're typically quite labor-centric as well, more so than row crops. Interesting. Steve, you and I, when we first, in in that lengthy discussion, we probably kind of got off in the weeds a little bit. But one of the things I know we did talk about were microclimates and microclimates existing within the orchard. And I think with the data you're collecting, you can really begin to work towards what the row crops guy all talks about precision agriculture. That's really what we're trying to get at here in the orchard. Can you describe a little bit of that to, to our listeners? Yeah, I would go even one step further as I was corrected by WSU's Ag, Ag WeatherNet team and that they view it within an orchard block, which typically are around 20 acres or so, they call them nanoclimates. Um, and really, there is quite a bit of variation. So growers today predominantly depend on a weather station that is a few miles down the road that may be operated by the state or often the weather app. A meeting I was in this morning, everybody was still looking at their darned weather app, a bunch of growers. And ultimately, once you get down to the block level, weather really matters, of course, in that you've got inversion for some of these blocks. And you're typically seeing from in canopy measures of temp and RH versus even just above canopy, you can see as much of a four degree Fahrenheit difference in variation. So you've got hot and cold zones where potentially you could do something about it, address it, particularly when it comes to susceptible times like frost based on, on the nanoclimates. So are you actually uh, wiring up whole trees or you've got sensors up into the canopies of a number of the trees within the block you know how how widespread what's the dispersion within the block that you're doing well first it's it's good to call out in the smart orchard while it's a commercial orchard you know the density of sensors that we have in there is much higher than you would typically expect because we're comparing sensors against each other and really validating some of these things but typically i i would say if we look at temp and RH sensors in a 20-acre block last year, we ended up with, I'd say, about 10. You know, So it was about one per two acres or so. And again, we measured above canopy and in canopy at two different heights and would compare that to a weather station directly outside of the orchard block versus one that was down the road. So that's that on weather on soil moisture sensors. We had about four or so for the 20-acre block. And by looking at that, along with some imagery-based data, we've decided how to better reposition those sensors as we go into this next year as well. Okay. Well, let's, let's take a quick break here for our marketing boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Jennifer Sparks. Thank you, Casey. Let's talk about special time periods set aside for just blueberries, 
that we are leveraging to drive consumer passion. You see, creative promotion is what turns blueberry awareness into blueberry purchase. And the more people get of the unique blue fruit, the more passion they have for it. And passion is what turns blueberry purchasers into blueberry enthusiasts. A blueberry enthusiast doesn't just buy the fruit, but craves it and has to have it. They eat blueberries every day and use them in many different ways. They are out there and we need more of them. We can drive this passion and enthusiasm by celebrating the special days marked just for blueberries. We all know National Blueberry Month is July and USHBC is preparing a big splash for that. Stay tuned. But there are also special days dotted throughout the year. For instance, we celebrated National Blueberry Pancake Day in January. Well, it's April, and April 28th is National Blueberry Pie Day. Not everybody knows this, so let's get the industry and consumers alike professing their love for blueberry pie. Just go to ushbc.org slash boost toolkit and click on the social media content button to find a fun, ready-to-use ad graphic to share on your social media channels and get people buzzing about blueberries. And if you share it, be sure to tag at blueberries and include hashtag grab a boost of blue in your caption so we can see it and highlight you as an industry champion. Keep an eye on the latest grab a boost of blue resources at ushbc.org slash boost of blue. This has been your marketing boost. Thank you for your partnership as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Back to you. Thanks, Jenny. Now let's get back into today's episode with Rod, Steve, and Ines. Is part of the selling or the proposition to them the fact that, I mean, are you working or as part of the long-term project to work on a dashboard that sort of takes a, a variety of proprietary sensor equipment and gives a way to sort of plug in so that the, you know, the companies don't have to necessarily share what they're doing with the competitor or you know, somebody else within their industry, but still gives you a, a way to consolidate data, aggregate data for these decision-making needs of the grower. Yeah, I mean, one of the challenges that many growers are seeing is they may have the recommendations from a sensor company, but they don't necessarily have access to that raw data, or if they stop subscribing to that service, then they've lost it. Or in some cases, I can think of a company, Terre Beyond last year, that some of your listeners may be familiar with, a fixed wing imaging company that went bankrupt. And all of that data that was in the cloud, well, it's still out there, but it's locked with a bankruptcy court judge that has the key to it, right? And so the key here is first, I think that the data aggregation, but then having access to that raw data. And what I call really data portability, giving the grower, empowering the grower to be able to one, compare data between different providers and two, interrelate the different types of data, e.g. labor data and perhaps a soil sensor or a tensiometer or spray chemical data. And as we're starting to see some firms investing more in data science, be able to have access to do some of that themselves so they can have the best of both worlds. So they can rely on third parties that have prescriptions, if you will, but then they can also have some control to invest in with data analysts and data scientists. 
And then to your question on a one-stop shopping dashboard, it's a constantly evolving group. And so I think as a community, we need to continue to, to come together on evolving toward your common APIs and a way to better share data. Microsoft has something called Farm Beats that helps facilitate that. We think others down the road will also be doing that and better enabling data interchange and then visualization of that data. So obviously it has to be considered successful and as uh, the growers have expanded the project for this coming season, what was sort of driving the expansion just to get more um, varieties of apples, to get more acreage? Well, this year, the, the goal was to add an orchard that was actually not so perfect, right? Last year, we chose an easy orchard. This year, we added a challenging orchard because there's still more questions related to the sensors. And that is so then if you have a range that has high variability, how many actually sensors do you then need? When you know there is lots of variability in your field, how do you reconcile all of this? And and how do you make it then economically feasible? So we really wanted to add this layer to this and also uh, went to a different owner, basically, because you need to figure out does it work across different um, company philosophies? Clearly, it's another one of the companies that, that is really basically a leader in technology, but they have a different philosophy, different management style. So that has to work as well. We were really encouraged because we saw that by folks seeing things in action last year, all over the state, people have picked up certain pieces that they found interesting. And we're certainly hopeful that this year we can see more of this. And this is exactly what we were hoping for, that this would give people the empathy to basically say, okay, now I feel comfortable. I've seen it uh, with a peer. I was able to talk, you know, with folks in the field, not just the company rep, and uh, we have some independently verifiable data. We're really um, very quite excited that so many folks have taken up certain pieces. And the goal is to have a wave of this happening this year and next year. And is there expectation for reducing cost or just simply more efficiency? I mean, we all have labor issues. Is it simply just gosh, it's going to save me because I don't have to hire 29 more people or something like that? Or are they really seeing, you think they're really seeing cost benefits here? Yeah, and this this data, of course, takes a little time to generate. So this year's data set will really pinpoint that. That's one big focus area, the cost benefit analysis this year. In general, I think our community is not so much focused on the savings. It's more focused on producing the right amount of food and reducing uh, food waste and staying sustainable. So uh, because you can generate or have a lot more money coming back to your farm, if you produce the exact right amount of fruit, which is probably the same in blueberry, certain sizes, certain grades, they just sell better. And if you have less college uh, on the way, this is what ultimately makes your farm run better. And if you can then complement that by making more justifiable decisions at the right time, that helps as well, of course. But ultimately, focusing on the what we call the target fruit, increasing the output of target fruit, that is your ultimately proof of the pudding, that things are working. 
what is the timeline on this? Like when does this thing mature to what success? How many years of investment do you have planned on this? Yeah, that is a very good question. Um, if I would have like put on the head of uh, one of my board members, uh, it's like yesterday. They're very impatient and very um, would like to have results instantaneously. So uh, we expect uh, this year to already be another big shift and uh, then and maybe a third year to really flesh things out and then this should go. I mean, no more than this year and next year. And then we should have some really kind of big shift going on. And then we'll reevaluate and see what we got. And with that, I, I just want to say I thank you so very much. Uh, we need to be considerate of your time. And I do want to remind our listeners that we will post links to the Smart Orchard Project on our website. And I want to thank both uh, Steve, uh, Madeline, Inez Hanrahan for joining us today. Absolutely a pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure, yes. Well, Rod, that was a fascinating conversation with Steve and Ines. Certainly, you know, a look into how data can be leveraged and, and maybe how that could help automate things for the blueberry industry in the future. But talk to me a little bit about what your key takeaways were this time, Rod. Well, you know, I wanted to hear about this because it's a concept that our tech committee has talked about at a very, very, you know, 60,000 foot level, not even 30,000 foot about look at all of the stuff that's going on out there and what are our gaps and and the fill-ins. And so I wanted to hear what they were doing. And I do think there is a lot of commonalities. I mean, certainly things, the water and, you know, all of that. I think in our crop, we'd want to have more emphasis on crop estimating and time to harvest and things like that that they necessarily do in Apple. But there's an awful lot of this that could work together. And I do think that all of those things I, I think are, are were really critical to have our growers listen to and our committee to consider as they do their work in the future. I think for me, I mean, I, I agree. And I just feel like the connection that they were making for us, not kind of unlike the one that I was having that conversation with Mango and Avo on just the collection of grower data as a, you know, either uh, historical price or, you know, what's happening in the fields in terms of what's been shipped. But this conversation very much similar where you're hearing Steve and Ines talk about the collaboration of that data going to the research commission on purpose, that, that there is something really big afoot in the aggregation of the whole competitors working together, you know, making sure that that governance of that data is in a place where these different things can be done with it. Obviously, working with Steve's company is the one that they're focused on here. But just seeing that collaboration come together, I'm sensing that same spirit right now within the blueberry industry, at least the inertia of wanting to see things done differently and better and willingness to do things differently in order to achieve the better. They're further along in that thought leadership process on this project, but it's just exciting to hear and just continue to think through how that inspires, you know, some of the conversations we're having as an industry today going forward. So another great episode, uh, Rod, I uh, really appreciate you bringing these tech episodes forward for us to consider, but I, I think, you know, more than just bringing them forward, we're starting to think through some of those actionables, you know, at your committee level, but certainly as we're looking at a strategic planning process going forward, you know, where are our priorities as a 20-year organization now, today, that we're different than when we got started. So really good. Thank you, Rod. 
thanks for the uh, for the soapbox to stand on and uh, talk about uh, technology. Our industry needs it. It's what we have to evolve. We've got to be more efficient. I love the uh, fact that the Apple Group was looking at this as part of a sustainability statement for the industry itself. And I, I think that's certainly where we need to realize that this needs to help move us. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for episode 44. It's hard to believe, but we're already wrapping up our first year of this podcast. Many of you have heard from Jill, if you didn't go back to that episode and get to know Jill Schofield, our new industry relations and communications director. But we're going to be sitting down here soon to talk about our second year and what are our goals for this podcast. You know, We've heard from many of you how much you appreciate these shows, how much inspiration that it provides and thoughts about how the future of the industry could go. Uh, but what topics would you like to hear on this show? What are things that you'd like us to know about your experience with the podcast that you think would be, you know, be done differently and better? We're open to some suggestions here that as we consider our, our plan for the second year of the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. So consider emailing us at industry at ushbc.org. That's the email address that Jill will be monitoring. So please feel free to give us some of your feedback and suggestions there at industry at ushbc.org. That will help us to keep this content of the podcast relevant to all of you who have been a fantastic audience of listeners uh, in our first year. So thank you very much. And thanks for listening today. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. <laughs>